0: Grab your Bibles now and turn, if you will, to Luke 17, and let me read you just one quick event out of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It begins in verse 11, Luke 17, verse 11, and we'll read through verse 19. You follow in your copies of God's inerrant word. And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that endures forever. Guys, you want to know one of the reasons, among many reasons, but one of the reasons why people would say that my wife is nicer than I am? I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but just one of the reasons why my why most people would say my wife is nicer than me. It's thank you notes. My wife is a fanatic about thank you notes. She raised our kids to be fanatics about thank you notes. My wife writes thank you notes for Christmas presents. (laughs) I mean, people love her thank you notes. Uh, they, have, they have grown to so accustomed to her thank you notes that they tell her in advance, no thank you note required now um, that 's just one of the reasons, among the numerous ones you could list, that my wife is thought of as being nicer than me i don 't write thank you notes now there 's a lot of reasons, but that 's just one of them i don 't write. Thank you notes. And in a culture that grows more and more coarse, thank you notes, it seems like it's almost a, a disappearing art form. We, um, we homo sapiens, we, we like to be thanked, don't we? <laughs> you know, one of, even with our kids, one of our greatest annoyances as parents is that they're just so dang ungrateful. You know, they don't like really thank you notes know, to us or anybody else. A friend of mine tells a story about uh, going to a car wash to have his car washed. And um, on that particular day that he was having his car washed, the car wash was giving away free newspapers. And my friend, Bob, uh, thinking that really nothing is ever free, <laughs> questioned the, um, the quality of the newspaper. And so as the guy was handing him a free newspaper... Uh, my friend Bob says, <laughs> what's the matter with them? Do they not have sports sections? <laughs> and the guy looked back at him with a great deal of contempt in his, in his face. And he said, sir, all you need to do is say thank you. He's right, isn't he? A simple thank you would... Um, would go a long way in a lot of situations. Gang, what's the matter with us? H- have we become so cynical? I mean, blessed are those who expect nothing for they won't be disappointed. I mean, does it really require a national holiday to remind us? I mean, don't you sit around that table on Thursday and feeling just a little bit uncomfortable because you you... You know, Abraham Lincoln had to set aside a day so that we would express thanks? What's the matter? How, why, does that, why does that come so hard? Are we just low on nice? And yet, you know, guys, every time we see it, or every time we get it, that is, thanks, it, it's it's touching. It's um moving. Maybe, maybe because it's so rare. I, I don't know, but... Uh, have you seen the the TV commercial that's on right now? I saw it on there yesterday. It was a, it's a commercial about, um, the Tennessee lottery. Powerball, I think. And this young guy shows up on the, on the front doorsteps of a, of a uh, senior citizen couple and rings the bell and they open the door and, and they exchange, hey, hey, you know, exchange pleasantries there on the, on the front porch. And, and then the young guy says to the, the senior citizen couple, he says, um, hey, um, do you remember the, um, the old truck that you gave me when I went off to college, so that I could get around. And the old guy says, "Well, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, I, I hope you didn't bring it back after all these years." <laughs> and the young guy says, "No." And then he dangles some keys and he says, "I've got a replacement." And the next scene, they're out in the front yard, and he says, and, "And there's there's this huge, enormous RV sitting in the in the driveway. Looks like an aircraft carrier." And 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 the young guy says. Do y'all still want to take that trip across country? And the woman says, is that ours? And they all hug and, you know, and, you know, and as many misgivings as I might have about the lottery, that's a good commercial. You know, it's a, it's a good commercial because it's a commercial about thanks, expressing it. And so when you win the lottery, you can become thankful. But not a day before, <laughs> you know um, those those expressions of thanks. They they are they they we like them. Um, they they have a way of making you say, "Oh, isn't she nice?" I um I read a story once about two missionaries to Brazil who uh, had attended their first, or were attending their first uh, funeral, a um, their first Brazilian funeral. And um, the woman who um, had died was killed in an automobile accident the day before. And so they, they came to the chapel, and there in the midst of the chapel is the coffin. And they knew this woman because she was the mother of a young man who had been the first man to come to know Christ through their ministry in Brazil. His name was Cesar. And so when they entered the chapel, there, there was the casket, and, and standing around it was um, Cesar and, and his sister and some other relatives, and then one other woman by the name of Carmelita. And Carmelita was this tall, very attractive, dark skinned woman who, who was staring at this casket with deep set, earnest brown eyes. And there was something noble about the way that she, she stood beside the body. She wasn't weeping openly as the others. She just stood there, curiously quiet. And who was she? Well, um, on the night prior to the funeral, the, the two missionaries had driven Cesar over to Carmelita's house to tell her that Donna Nueza, Cesar's mother, had been killed in an automobile accident. And so on the way over there, Cesar tells these two missionaries the story about Carmelita. Um, About 20 years earlier, Cesar's family had visited uh, a small city on the interior of Brazil. And it was there that they ran into Carmelita. She was a seven-year-old orphan. She was on the streets. Um, Her mother was a prostitute. She'd never known her father and 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 Donna Nuesa the one who had been killed realized that it, unless somebody intervened for her she was going to spend the rest of her life in poverty if not prostitution and so on the way back Cesar had a new sister Carmelita so back to the funeral the funeral was over and and uh, the two missionaries who were seated in the far back corner were pretty much the last to leave. And as they turned to leave the, the chapel, they heard this muffled sound behind them. And so they turned around and, and they saw Carmelita alone weeping at this coffin. And so they were quite moved by it. And so they decided that they were just going to stand and watch this very, this very moving goodbye. And so Carmelita, who was alone perhaps, well, for the last time with her adopted mother, She stood there with this earnestness in her eyes, as if she had one final act to perform. She didn't wail or scream with grief. What she did was she draped herself over the casket and and caressed this casket very tenderly, as if she were... Holding her mother's her adopted mother's face and with and while these these silent teardrops splashed on this polished wood, she laid on the casket and she said repeatedly over and over again, she said, Obregada, 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 obrigada." Guys, I've been to Brazil once. And I didn't learn too many words, but I learned one. Obrigada. You know what that means, don't you? It means thank you. Guys, I I tell you all that to introduce you to a story in Luke 17, which is, um, is really a story about a failure. It's a failure, a story about a failure to thank in proportion to the benefits received. And there is much that I could probably say about how bad was this failure on the part of these nine guys that were lepers that were healed. But my outrage is somewhat tempered by the realization that I'm just as guilty. But for me... I don't know whether this struck you about the story as I read it. But for me, the most poignant part of this story is the simple fact that Jesus Jesus noticed. He noticed when he was stanked. And he noticed when he wasn't. Can't you just hear him? It's in the text, ladies and gentlemen. He says, "Um, weren't there ten lepers Uh, Where are those other nine? And by the way, I don't think he said it like that. I mean, but the the, the point is, he noticed. There he is on his steadfast march to Calvary. And he's halted by someone who wants to thank him. And he's He notices that there were nine who didn't. Gang, aren't aren't we the people, I think we are, the people who want to give to Jesus what he wants? Isn't that us? I think it is. Well, I got a newsflash for you. One thing Jesus delights in is in the receiving of thanks In this story, he is touched by a man who understands the source of his newfound health. Gang, I I can't tell you what Jesus values the most, whether it's, oh, he values time or he values money. I, I don't know what he values most, but I can tell you this much. I know he values the receiving of thanks Now, assuming that we're the people, we're the ones that want to give him what he wants, and I think that's who we are, I want to leave you with two things that I hope will help in in our giving him what he wants. First of all, I want to tell you what it might look like were we to have it. That is, if we had this spirit of thanksgiving, if we had that, what it might look like, and then secondly, how to cultivate it. Those are the two things I want to leave you with. Now, before I set some kind of standards about what Thanksgiving looks like, let me tell you that I certainly realize that it's going to differ from person to person because we're all such different personalities. Yes, it's only plastic flowers that all look alike. But the text does tell us certain things about what this guy's look like. And that might help us. In terms of our, our own expressions of thanks, it might help us just to examine his. So, what does it look like were we to have it? Here's the first thing. It's uncommanded. That is, a commanded thanks is really no thanks at all. To illustrate, haven't you seen some little young mother who's got her little five-year-old in tow and uh, something happens and and she looks down at the five-year-old and she says, Now tell him you're sorry. Tell him you're sorry. Go ahead, tell him you're sorry. Or, uh, say thanks. Come on, hey, hey, say thanks. Now that's moving, isn't it? I mean, you really appreciate those thanks, don't you? That's a commanded thanks, ladies and gentlemen, and it's really no thanks at all. But this guy's is uncommanded. It's it's spontaneous. It's, it's not mechanical. It's almost knee-jerk. In fact, this guy was told to go show himself to the priest, and he never makes it to the priest. Because once he realizes what's happened to him, he is drawn back to the one who gave him this health. And I want you to notice he's not rebuked for having not gone to the priest. For this guy, the need to thank far overrode the need for ceremony. He wanted to fling himself at Christ. It was far more important that he express thanks and acknowledge the giver than any ceremony. He didn't want a ceremony. He wanted a person. Gang, Robbie Zacharias is one of my heroes. He's a name that's familiar to most of you. Robbie Robbie said this one time. He said, one of the greatest sadnesses of being an atheist is that an atheist has no one to thank. But we're not atheists. We're people who do have somebody to thank. And it's um, very clear, at least in this story, this man was very clear about where this newfound health of his came from. In in this story, he's a lot like Carmelita. Carmelita. He just kind of drapes himself over the one who is the source of all of his newfound health. Now, guys, here's my point. Once you forget the source, then we have to have a national holiday to remind us to do it. Once you get unclear about who's the source of all of this that you enjoy, then thanks has a tendency of drying up. If there's any question in your mind as to who really gained you all that you enjoy, then then thanks has a way of of being forgotten. All I'm saying, guys, is here's a man who is very clear-headed. He's very clear-headed about how he got what he got and is enjoying what he's enjoying. And because of that clear-headedness, nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop him. The other thing that you'll notice in there in verse 15, it says that when he saw that he was healed, he turned back praising God with a loud voice. His thanks was loud. <laughs> People like me really groove on that kind of thing. Um, why, why, why do we need to be quiet about God's great goodness to us? Extravagant praise. Now, there's a novel concept. It, um, it won't hurt you, I promise. And gang, if a bit of enthusiasm over God's great goodness, if that unnerves you, then we probably ought to ask another set of questions. In fact, I'll even say this. Locate your extravagance or your extravagances. And that's where you'll find your heart. Um, Where... Do we see you being extravagant? Over what things are you extravagant? Ole Miss football? Or new clothes? Or a fancy house? Or a big office with windows? Find your extravagance. And you'll find your heart. Is there any doubt in anybody's mind, after reading this story, where this guy's heart was? And what is it that told you that? Oh, it was just an outpouring of loud, extravagant Thanksgiving. Here's the third thing that I want you to see about uh, this guy's display. It's that there's a humility about it. You know, you see that in verse 16 when he falls at Jesus' feet. But there's one other thing that really was more moving to me than that. I don't know whether you noticed this, but he refused to censure those other nine. I mean, Jesus said, hey, uh, weren't there uh, ten of you guys? Where's the other nine? And he could have taken advantage of that. and said, He could have taken a cheap shot. He could have said, oh, yeah, Jesus, you know, those other nine, not them, but me. (laughs) Look at me. But, but he, he doesn't take advantage of his opportunity because people who know the source of all their health, they walk humbly. And they don't have time to be critiquing what others are doing. They're too busy. Gang, thanks is the derivative of being very clear-headed about the source. And when you're clear-headed about the source, then high-mindedness doesn't, um, doesn't plague you as badly. Um, now, that's what it would look like. It is uncommanded, it's loud, and it's humble. But now, if you sense a certain uh, deficiency in your soul like the one that exists in mine, here's how we might go about cultivating it. Let me mention two things, and then I'm done. How to cultivate this heart. Number one, never, ever forget the leprosy. You know, I bet you... Um, have heard descriptions of lepers and leprosy before, before this morning. I mean, it's, some of it's even in the text there. You know, he shouted from across the street. You know, you've gone to Sunday school and they told you about lepers, and lepers were people that had to walk down the street and they had to shout, unclean, unclean, because they didn't want anybody getting around them and all that business. And so they were kind of banished to the outskirts of town. They had to live in little, they couldn't live inside a city because of you know, leprosy and all that business. And so they were, they were cut off from people. I mean, there's just no social contact whatsoever. That's why you'd find a Samaritan in, the, in company with nine other Jews, because those guys would never get along. But, you know, leprosy has a way of making you forget all that. But, but I mean, they were just unclean, banished from society, just out there, cut off. <laughs> Gang, I hope you can see the point. It's rather clear. What the New Testament wants you to know about leprosy is this. What leprosy, does the disease, what the, leprosy, what the disease does to the flesh, sin does to the soul. What leprosy will do to the skin, sin will do to the heart. And here's a guy who understands that every healthy thing in me, Every advantage that I now enjoy, everything that I'm enjoying at this moment, he gave it to me. You know, I, I, I used to be banished, but now I'm accepted. I, um, I used to be very ill, sick, but now I'm healthy. I was once an orphan, but now I'm a beloved family member. How? Oh, because of him. And my brother and sister in Christ, once you forget that, thanks will dry up on you. And you can reserve one day a year to let people know how thankful you are. Gang, when we forget the source, you know what happens to us? we begin to take credit for things (laughs) the reason that I'm so successful is because the reason that I have such great health is because I my intelligence my social standing some of you would even claim responsibility for your looks My brother and sister in Christ never ever forget the leprosy and here's the other thing in terms of cultivating never ever neglect worship let me explain guys this fellow has two problems He's he's a leper, but that's not his only problem. He's also a Samaritan. You see, your leprosy meant that you were cut off from people. The fact that you were a Samaritan means that he was cut off from God. Samaritans were worthless. So he was a leper, and he's got a real physical problem. But he's also a Samaritan, and that means he's got a real a real spiritual problem. So, you see, had Jesus only cleansed him from the leprosy, oh, well, that that would have been good. But he had still been a Samaritan. And though he was now able to go back and enjoy the fellowship of, uh, you know, society, he was still cut off from God. You see, cleansing the flesh, you know, that's a good thing. But it's nothing compared to someone who can exchange my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Being banished from people. That's awful. But being banished from God is unthinkable. And as bizarre as this might sound to some of you, the disease of his flesh is not his biggest problem. You clean that up, and you're restored to people. But I still have to stand before God. Fixing my body is a great kindness. But restoring me to fellowship with God That's what my hungry soul longs for. Oh, I'm glad when I'm healed. But I worship when I'm forgiven. Ladies and gentlemen, I say to you, the most prized possession of the Christian is not his health. It is his forgiveness. And a worshiper knows that. A worshiper knows, like Carmelita seemed to know, that we were rescued by a compassionate visitor. That there was a generous parent who offered us a home and gave us his name. Was he who became a remedy for the leprosy of my soul? People who know that find worship their delight. Don't ever neglect worship. Anne Lamont. Do you know that name? She's kind of voguish these days. I mean, if you really want to be acceptable in, the, uh, you know, some circles, just drop the name Anne Lamont. You know, tell them you've been reading some of her works, and they'll think, "Ooh." Well, she is. I, I can't. I haven't really understood her yet. Um, I, I tried, but she's not the only one I can't understand. I, I've tried to. Read Shakespeare, and I can't understand him, and I can't understand Jean-Paul Sartre. There's just a lot of them I can't understand. But um, but anyway, Anne Lamont says one thing that I did understand. And she says, you know, there's only two prayers that I pray, and I, but I pray these all the time. I mean, I only pray two prayers, but boy, do I pray these a lot. <laughs> I only pray two things, and man, I pray them frequently. The first thing I pray is this. Help me, help me, help me. The second thing I pray is, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if we're clear-headed about the first, that is how much help we really need, then our Thanksgiving won't be confined to the fourth Thursday. Of November. Our Father, forgive us that we neglect um, the great benefits we've received, too, that we have failed to respond in proportion to the benefit received. We have nobody to blame but ourselves, Lord. We, um, we are quick to take credit where credit is not due. We are quick to um, point to strategies or, or intelligence or savvy when every last particle of it is the result of your kind gifts towards us. So, Father, in a lot of ways, um, make us into a congregation full of Carmelitas, people who know that, that on that cross was the one who was responsible for all good that we enjoy. Lord Jesus, as the source of great kindness towards us, in whatever language we want to say it. We worship you. And we thank you for bringing the great good God that you are. We say, "obrigada," "obrigada," Obregata, and we'll spend our lives saying that because indeed, The source of all the goodness that we enjoy is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. We love you, Lord Jesus. We're sorry we love you so little. But grant us grace that we might love you more. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.